0: Hello, and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9 a.m. or for our more traditional service at 11 a.m. We also stream full services live on our Facebook page. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozé UMC. So over the last couple of weeks, um, we have been uh, hearing the stories of women in the Bible. And for me at least, me personally, it has been absolutely fascinating. Not just because it's, uh, it's something necessarily that we haven't talked about or we don't necessarily talk about all the time but because it brought me to a place, it's required me to actually think about some things in ways I haven't thought about it before. But a couple of weeks ago when Sarah came and said, hey, I need you to pinch hit because the the speaker that we had, uh, the elder that uh, she had uh, coordinated for, was unable to do this, I thought about it for about 60 seconds, and I felt like the Holy Spirit was taking me to a different place, rather than women in the Bible, but to talk about love. And I prayed about that, and I was working through it, and I was convinced that that's where we needed to go. And it might seem a little unusual to you um, because of the transition from women to to love, and it also might be a little unusual because you've probably heard those words before. This love chapter—it's not unique. We're not digging deep into the uh, pits of the bottom of the scriptures, this is something that you hear a lot. You may have heard it in worship. You might have heard it in a wedding. We love to use it in weddings. But when Paul wrote this, he really wasn't talking about weddings. It's not that the words don't work. It's not that the, the scripture doesn't apply. It does. But when it started out, Paul's writing this to a church not for a wedding, but Paul is writing this to challenge us and the church in Corinth to look at how we deal with others. And it becomes clear as you read this that Paul is not talking about a a huggy, warm feeling about love. Paul is talking about a conscious decision we make, a choice we have and how we treat other people. Not just believers, but people who don't know Jesus Christ. And Paul reminds us that this is our choice. And then doing this, Paul writes in the Greek, there are 15 verbs. Now when you read the English, it changes out, some of the English translations change those verbs to adjectives but in the Greek, they're all verbs. They're all doing words. They're requiring us, challenging us to do something. And this is significant because I think Paul's telling us that we have a a mission, a focus, to do something different than the rest of the world. We may not be able to control our emotions or our feelings. That's a hard one. It is for me, maybe not you, but we can certainly control our actions. What's the bottom line? Love is something we choose to do or not choose to do. And this type of love is not dependent on how others treat us. I know that a lot of times the world wants to take us to a different place, but in fact, Paul is not suggesting, Paul is challenging us to love each other, no matter who we are, no matter what other people do. And But it goes a step further because if you look elsewhere, Jesus doesn't suggest it. Jesus doesn't challenge us. He commands us. Okay, it, and so if you, if you look at it, John chapter 13, uh, Jesus tells us, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So if you look at the New Testament over and over again, we're told about love, if you think about it. In Paul's letters, in the four Gospels, there's a lot of messages about love. But it's not just the New Testament, it's the Old Testament as well. And A lot of times we might forget that, But actually, we are challenged to do the same thing. And the Israelites were challenged to do the same thing. Prophet Micah tells us in Micah chapter 6, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. And Zechariah, we're told, Thus has the Lord of hosts said, dispense true justice, practice kindness and compassion to each his brother. This is deliberate. And it's hard. And it isn't a, a sentiment, it's an action. It requires us to love the unlovable and the unlovely not because of what they did for us or because we're bright and shiny, because we're excellent but because that's what God asks us to do. It's what God commands us to do. Now, maybe not for you, but in my eyes, the way I see the world, I don't think this is natural. I'd be up front with you. I don't think many of us are wired this way. At least I'm not, Uh, because I gravitate towards the other end of the spectrum. I really do, because when I see injustice, or injustice has been uh, uh, set upon me, when I see evil, when I see hate, I, I I want not biblical justice, I want retribution, I want judgment. I want somebody's head on a stick, and I don't think this is unusual. You might tell me, well, you know, it's, it's the day. It's the way the world is these days. And, you know, it's social media. It drives us there. And it does. And, you know, I, I'm not happy about that. But also, I've got to be honest, if you look at the Old Testament, and I specifically look at the Psalms, about one, a little over one-third of the Psalms have this level of emotion in them. Let me share a couple with you. These are my favorites. 57th Psalm, may they be like a slug that melts away as it, as it moves along. Well, that's friendly. 63rd Psalm, they will be given over to the sword and become foods, food for jackals. Makes you want to sing Jesus Loves Me, doesn't it? 71st Psalm, may my accusers perish in shame May those who want to harm me be covered with scorn and disgrace. Hey, go over to Harris Teeter. I'm sure in the greeting card aisle, there's one with those words on the inside, right? (sighs) The psalmist, whether it's David or somebody who wrote it for him, felt those same things that we do, that anger, that pain. But because, just because it was documented that way doesn't mean we're called to do that. It's an example of God's grace and God's forgiveness that God for, forgives and accepts that pain. Then, with David and the psalmist, and now with Doug Gaskell, thousands of years later, we get angry, and yet we have a choice. God calls us to something beyond retribution, beyond vengeance. Here's what we're told in 1 John. Because God loved us, because, I'm sorry, because of God's love towards us, we are able to love one another. So what does this all mean? Paul's letter to the church in Corinth was, and still is, a challenge to believers to examine their own lives against the example of Christ. It is not, sounds like my ride's here, it is not a challenge for us to go judge others. It's about us. And it's about our challenge to examine ourselves with a focus on love, Christ's love. So why is this important? Well, yeah, Paul suggests it. Jesus commands it. But there's something else. This love changes lives. Amen. And if you take anything out of here today, take that. Love changes lives. I know it. I've seen it. And you probably have seen it too. Love is patient. Now for me, when I look at it, love is patient. It's fascinating Paul starts out with patience. His patience is hard. It's brutal. Paul describes love with patience. And the word means to patiently bear with others' faults and offenses, to be long-suffering. It is choosing to love one another not because of who they are, but in spite of who they are. In spite of what they do to me, or to you, or to anybody else. It accepts the frailties of human nature and refuses to take offense. Love is kind. Love reacts with goodness towards those who have been ill-treated. Like patience, this is deliberate. This is a choice. We are called to care, and that's what Paul is talking about, caring enough to be kind. Love doesn't envy either. There's no rivalry. There's no competition. Love does not envy because love is glad for what the other person has. Love appreciates and rejoices when others are blessed and love is not displeased when other, others experience success. Love doesn't boast. If envy is desiring what another person has, boasting comes from the desire for others to see what we have. This is hard in today's world, right? I mean, we have social media that jumps out and offers us a chance to say, look at me. It plays to that but we're called to go a different direction love is not proud in the greek actually this means to inflate love does not puff itself up this isn't about self-confidence that's not what we're talking about here this is about choosing to inflate blow ourselves uh, up to something that we are not to avoid, and we're called to avoid being self-important or arrogant. Love isn't rude. And here we're talking about common courtesy. Maybe courtesy isn't common, but Paul is calling us to care about others, their likes, their dislikes, their customs, their culture. It respects feelings and concerns of others even when they are different than our own. Love means we choose to act and not to dishonorably act or disgrace another person. Love is self, not self-seeking. Paul tells us that love puts the good of others before our own good. It places our God first in our lives, above our own ambitions. It places others in front of our own ambitions. It doesn't insist on getting our own way. This is hard for me too. Don't you say anything. (laughs) Please, not in public. (laughs) Love calls us to choose the attitude of Jesus who came to serve and not be served. Love is not easily angered. Love does not rush to anger when others do us wrong. And unfortunately, all of us have a button. I have several hundred of buttons. I mean, they're all covered up, and you wouldn't want me to uncover them. It'd be too frightening. But the point is is that we, each of us, have a, a button or two or three that somebody just needs to press, and then we're off to the races. But that's not where we're called to go. We're called to restrain ourselves, to restrain our actions. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love offers forgiveness, even when offenses are repeated over many times. This is hard. This is not about American culture. But we're called to be something different. Some of us keep a record of wrongs in our heart. Some of us actually write it down. Some of us have uh, blacklisted someone in your, in their heart. Honestly, I have. I'm not proud about it, but I got to be honest with you. How about not looking for an opportunity to bring up the past? Oh, I've done that too. But I've really reformed because it's been what, Mary Alice? About an hour and a half since I last did it. And if I can do just 30 more minutes, that'll be a a record. Bringing up the past, keeping a record of wrong, is not the love that we're called to be or to bring. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. We take no pleasure in unrighteousness, in injustice, and wickedness. Love never rejoices when the people are mistreated and when evil wins out. And that's hard, too. Love never gossips about another's problems. It is a choice for us to turn in a different direction. Love always protects. Now, the interesting thing to me here is that uh, the Greek word uh, talks about protecting over like a roof and so this protection is about not protecting us from the weather but a covering from shame hurt damage love is really about a choice to preserve and protect and restore love always trusts now this is hard for me Some of you may know I started out life many, many years ago as a cop in Detroit. They didn't teach you this trust thing. They took us another direction. And after you'd been on the job for a while, you kind of went that same way too. It's hard. And it might be the most difficult. I think it is for me. But love chooses to look for the best, to believe the best in people, until they're proven until we're proven wrong Amen. love is a choice to give others the benefit of the doubt it is a choice to see the best in others and trust in their good intentions and love always hopes and if trust is hard hope is right there with it because i feel called and, and the world calls me to something else love for others hopes for the best knowing God is faithful in completing his work in me and in you and the others around me. This hope is a choice to encourage others. Love always perseveres. Love continues the face in the face of rejection and opposition. It endures even through the most difficult trials. It bears up under insult and injury. Love perseveres because it's unconditional. Love also never fails. It goes beyond the boundaries of ordinary human love. Love is a choice we make that is eternal, divine, and never ceases. The love that uh, we see in the letter to the church in Corinth and in 1 Corinthians is difficult. It's hard. Maybe not for you, but it surely is for me. But it's what we're called to. The world isn't calling us to this love, in my opinion. When you look out there, the world's calling us to something else, the other end of the spectrum. But love is the choice we're called to make. And the choice can make a difference in people's lives. Years ago, a long time ago, when I had a whole lot of hair and on my head and a lot less fewer inches around my waist I had the benefit or the blessing actually of commanding an artillery battery in the United States Army It was about 120 soldiers 100 to 120 depending on the given day and after I'd been in the job for about six months we had a young soldier come in from an overseas assignment sign into the unit I met the kid I had a chance to talk to him for a few minutes and sent him on his way and then the next day I got a phone call from the hospital that said, the following day, you, Doug Gaskell, and this young man, his name was Al, Albert, and he was a cook, you come down here at three o'clock in the afternoon, 1500 military time, and you come to the hospital. What's this about? We'll tell you when you get here. Okay. So next day, we piled into the truck, into the Jeep, we rode across post, we went into the hospital, We were there about uh, three minutes, and uh, we got uh, a member of the preventive medicine team walked in and said that uh, this young man had a terminal disease. They didn't know whether it was six months or six years, but he was terminal. And then I was told that I would have to discharge this young man under the provisions of the Army regulation. And then we were shown the door. So much for bedside manner. On the road back to the, to the battery, to the building, we sat in silence. Partially because I had no clue as to what to do. They don't teach you that in any Army school. But also because I knew how often words fail us. We got back to the parking lot. We pulled out, and jumped out of the truck, and I uh, had enough presence of mind to ask if I could pray for this young man, and and I did. But that was all I could figure out what to do. I sent him back to the to the barracks, and it uh, it laid me low. It it grabbed my heart because not just because I didn't know what to do, I could see in this young man's face the despair and the loss. And so the next day, uh, he came in. He came in with the first sergeant. First sergeant, if you're not uh, familiar with the military, is the senior sergeant in the unit, uh, Donald J. Peterson, first sergeant. Amazing guy, but that's another story for another day. Peterson and uh, Albert came in. Al said to me, he said, but, sir, I can't, I can't do this job anymore. I can't be a cook like this. I said, okay. He said, I know you have to discharge me, and I have made it impossible for you to do anything else because I have told you I won't do this job. I said, okay. I know you have to discharge me. I said, is that what you want? He said, No. So I was, again, kind of lost. Not kind of lost, very lost. And Al left the room, and we sat there, Don Peterson and I sat there in silence for a minute, and then Peterson said some amazing words. He said, you can't cure him, you can't heal him, but we can love him. <laughs> now, if you've been in the Army, or the Navy, or the Marine Corps, or the Air Force, or even the Coast Guard, any of the uniform Services, those words are not the words that are coming out of a sergeant's mouth. <laughs> and if you haven't been in the military, your view of the military is shaped by what you see on the screen. It's shaped by what you've seen in a movie or TV. And so your idea of a sergeant might be Gunnery Sergeant Hartman in full metal jacket. Or it might be somebody in Band of Brothers. But ain't nobody telling you a commander, yeah, gotta love him. And oh, by the way, I went back and looked; it's not in any of the manuals. I said, "Uh, okay, top." I'm not sure what that means. He said, "I know what it means. You just let me take care of it, okay?" Roger that. And off we went. I still had this enormous sense that I had failed this kid, but you keep going. And so the next morning when I came in, at first thing at about 5.30 in the morning, here is young Albert sitting in the desk in the order room. He's got about, I think it was four different regulations and manuals, and he's got a, this worksheet. He's filling out the Army's morning report. And you might have heard the story that the Army runs on his stomach no, it doesn't. That's all a lie. It runs on paper or electrons now. Got to have our data. And this young man was, he was working this thing down to, on his pencil and nub. He, he was going to figure it out. Wow. Next day I came in, again, about 5 30 in the morning. I hear a bunch of commotion upstairs by my office. I go up the stairs into the billets and there's water all over the floor in the hallway. And there's Al down the hall. He's in his gym clothes, getting ready for PT, and he's got two plumbers from post-engineering. Well, let me tell you something. Al ain't, uh, I'm sorry, Moses ain't got nothing on Al because Moses parted the Red Sea, but Moses couldn't get a plumber to work at 6 (laughs) a.m., but Al could. I don't know how. I said, who did you call? I can't do this. I'm supposed to be in charge. He says, sir, you just got to know people. Duh. How'd you find out in two days? Very soon, this man took it on his own to be the guy who could figure out how to fix problems. Took about six weeks. But if you had a finance problem, if you weren't getting paid right, Al knew the guy at finance to take you down to to get it fixed. You lived in family housing and the roof is leaking on top of your wife. Al knows the guy at housing to get it fixed. You getting jammed up by a car dealer downtown off post? Al found the guy at the Chamber of Commerce who could negotiate and explain the error of that dealer's ways and fix it. Captains couldn't fix it, colonels couldn't fix that stuff. How in the name of God did this one one young man do it? It was love. Because he had found a purpose. Not because of anything I did. But because Don Peterson had seen it. Albert was an amazing guy. Over and over again, he proved to be the man who could fix almost any problem. And it was because of love. I walked in on a Sunday afternoon, and uh, as I was coming down the sidewalk from the other direction, Al came down in dress uniform. I said, hey, what's up with the suit? It's Sunday. He says, I had to go to Mass. I had to tell God I was thankful. What? I'm sorry, but he's terminal. What does he have to be thankful for? What he had to be thankful for is that somebody had let the Holy Spirit, somebody had let God give this kid purpose again. Love is patient, love is kind, love always hopes. I was blessed to spend another 18 months in that unit, and then I was uh, transferred. I changed command, I went over to main post as the chief of protocol. Now, most of you don't know me well. The few that you do are asking, what were they thinking? That's another sermon for another day. I'm, to this day, not sure what they were thinking when they sent me over there. But the blessing of being over there was I was close to other things, including finance. And when Al came over to help a soldier out, Al would stop by and we'd drink a little coffee. We'd tell some lies. And I still had the blessing of hearing the stories about what he was fixing and the help he was offering people. But after about 10 months, I didn't see him. I didn't see him for a couple of weeks. And then I get a phone call and Don Peterson, First Sergeant Don Peterson said Al was admitted to the hospital and then he passed over the weekend. Six or seven weeks after that, Don Peterson showed up at at my office and he had a letter in his hand and it was from El Paso, Texas and Albert's mother. (sighs) I really want to open this up. I'm not really prepared for this. Peterson said, hey, sir, you got to open it up anyways. Opened it up and what I had found is his mother had told Peterson and Gaskell that this had been the two best years of Al's life. <laughs> really? She wrote that uh, somebody had loved him when others would call him unlovable. He, she wrote that God had given, given him purpose. Love is patient, love is kind, love always perseveres. 35 years later, I am still reminded of that man. I still am. I'm reminded what a blessing he was. I'm reminded of the strength he showed me. I'm also reminded of what love can do. Don Peterson had a choice. I did too. I missed it. Now, blessedly, First Sergeant Donald J. Peterson was there to make sure I didn't mess it up, but I missed it. I missed that opportunity. I missed the choice. Don Peterson didn't. He saw it. He made sure that kid was loved. He made sure that somebody cared about that kid. Love changes lives. Love is patient. Love is kind, love never fails. God's love comes with no strings attached. God's love is unconditional, and it's perfect in every single way. God's love is at the core and the heart of the gospel. Remember what Jesus said? He said it all comes down to two. Love your neighbor as yourself, Love God. Actually, I have a reverse them. It's love God, love your neighbor as yourself. But it all comes down to those two. Paul's letter to the church in Corinth gives us a glimpse into the kind of love God has for us. And he asks us to share that love with others. This love that Paul calls us to is a choice. This love is an action. Not a squishy, affectionate, huggy, kissy thing. This is an action. This is the love that God created with us. This love is essential to the life of a follower of Jesus. Jesus tells us that this love is on which all the laws of Moses and the prophets hang. It's the love that God calls us to. And it's the love that changes lives. It happens all when we choose love. And so when you walk out today, look for the opportunity. Look for the chance to share God's love with the world. Don't miss a chance to change a life. Amen?